it's hard to get through an average day without hearing about resilience whether it's how we need to develop resilience or congratulating ourselves on how we already have we are reading about resilience talking about it and touting it but perhaps we are getting a bit tired of resilience maybe it's time to drop the buzzword avoid the jargon and pause the platitudes in favor of something new Hello and welcome to another episode of the TCD Live Weekend Lounge with me your host Sri Kumar and Nin Rifat trying to shed some light on the journey and the long road to building resilience it is our attempt to go beyond the cliche and bring our attention to the need for a holistic approach towards resilience about the resilience and the integration of mind body and soul the screen so how is life been actually uh, is it uh, come back to normal there in uh, south africa how is it uh, going there it's very much back to normal um sri um you know slowly but surely the business is getting back to business okay. i don't think anyone can afford not to mm-hmm. um i moved from durban back to cape town so i'm with my son Okay, that's wonderful. Safer yeah. and better? Yeah, a lot better, safer, everything. So I'm very, very happy. I only, I'm here for two weeks now. I just moved. So have, have you moved, uh, yeah, whatever little remained of the bag and baggage and uh, moved back with your... <laughs> I had to um, get a transport company, a removal company, you know, to brought, to bring my... Um, little bits that I had left, my furniture and my clothes and so on. And it arrived about two weeks after I arrived in Cape Town. So for two weeks, I was living in bed and breakfast and here and there because I had no furniture. I had only the clothes with me. But you know what? It's all worth it at the end. And it shows you how little you need, really. (laughs) Because I can literally now take the rest and sell it. Do I need it? It's a, a lesson, you know. Um, we don't need what we collect. Absolutely. In fact, uh, uh, Nagin, uh, uh, no better person apart from you, obviously, but uh, Madeline, to talk about the topic as well and engage with us in this conversation or a dialogue on resilience. Of course, yes, Madeline has been, I would say, uh, shall I call it uh, the epitome of resilience? Do I say that? I got a degree in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, it was uh, quite uh, horrific uh, in South Africa when the violence broke out thanks to yeah, the uh, corrupt political uh, issues which cropped up. Yeah. And yeah, so it was like very, very violent. And uh, I, I happened to connect with Madeline at around that time when she was just coming to grips with uh, all that. And then there was this long gap. So yeah, yeah. that was our last, last conversation. Yes. Yeah, it was not a good experience for, it, for all of us, you know, because 
yeah, losing what you've collected over years and obviously you have a purpose for it and you think about well, after COVID, we will go back to normal. I mean, I had everything in there that belonged to my wellness center. Plus I had my mom's goods in there. We just placed her in an um, old care home and she had expensive sewing machines and embroidery machines. And I had stuff in there that was very expensive. Books I collected over 20 years and I lost all of that. Yeah, quite. Uh, but then, uh, as you rightly pointed out, while we can't actually even imagine the pain, but uh, what you said is right that, you know, it also teaches you some lessons in terms of how little we need. Uh, yeah, that's a very powerful. You know, it forced you to change your values. I changed my values and I must say I was cross, I was mad to say the least. Um, it made me sick, I was so angry. Or um, I mean, we were in an in a environment of anger after that and disappointment and a disbelief. You can't believe that this actually happened. And, um, and now I feel I moved past it and I have a different view on life and I feel different and I don't have this view of having so much in material goods around me we don't need it and um yeah it changed a lot for us yeah so but has life uh, returned to normal there uh, in the location where this happened i didn't hear much actually i was concerned as well because after our last conversation there was a long pause between our discussion and we were planning to actually do something there then so yeah. I was just getting a little worried in terms of uh, what's happening in that part of the world. It's back to normal. It's quiet and it's still at the moment. But um, the damage that's been done, I think they feel it now because the businesses that they burned to the ground are thousands of people who lost their jobs. Mm -hmm. Thousands, literally. Okay. And now that the goods that's been looted has been used and sold and gone, what do you do now? You know, you have to reflect and look back and say, was this worth it? So the rumblings are that they regret it and they actually realize what happened and what they've done. Too late. A major business is burned down. So even in my business of coaching, helping businesses to really put the human back in business and, and really grow um, abundance in businesses, uh, it affected me because what business do I go and help now? They burn down to the ground. The owners are so despondent and negative and uh, disappointed that it's going to take years to build back what they've had. So it affected everybody. And that's when I realized it's, there's no, it's no good for me to stay in an environment like that. I'd rather come back to Cape Town where my son is. Yeah, I think... Uh more than the uh, physical damage which happens, it is the emotional uh, and mental yeah. uh, damage which happens. People take a long time to recover. It's, it's very it's, long, yeah. very long. And we've been without an out uh, income for so long now, you know, because you scrape and you get by with what you've got because it affected everything, the whole cycle of distribution. Yeah. I can I can uh, well imagine it is oh yeah 
it needs now several years of work i could say you know it's not going to be easy especially overcoming i don't think the scars do go away uh, they do remain but i think we need to layer them with much more uh, hard work mm. and uh, better thinking and that's probably what we are intending to discuss about as well today and i'm so glad that you made it because i always used to look forward to uh, you coming in it's been a long time and uh, i know that you have some good stories to talk about around this topic and uh, nagin and i have been actually talking about resilience and uh, recovery and uh, those kind of uh, topics in the last uh, four or five shows we've been uh, discussing that in detail and we thought it is time that we uh, continued that conversation because i think it's not just about the uh, violence which we are talking about and as a result what people are going through i think people uh, generally during the pandemic have gone through a lot physically mentally emotionally socially as well so i think the uh, i would have listed almost the four dimensions uh, of resilience and four types and i think uh, all of us are going through at some level or the other different types of you know the impact which is the negative impact or the pains which we are going through uh, mm. i think last 16 months i do not know whether people have learned the lessons yet but uh, at least it has triggered some thoughts some uh, people have really spent some time to think about it and uh, reflect on how they have been uh what do you think are, are people actually learning from those uh, past 16 months uh what's your take you're asking me sri yeah yeah um i do believe that people changed because we went through collective trauma you know and reset and um people whatever we had before the trauma started we took for granted we who would ever think that your freedom is something that you need to fight for who would ever think that socializing with your friends and family is something that you need to fight for you know who would ever think that your your um your freedom to decide what happens to your body is now all of a sudden infringed and become a law of infringement so i do believe that the, there's a lot of positives that came out of this um to be quite honest i think people woke up to what is important to them and what do they want when you look at the videos everywhere in the world of the uprising and the marches that's happening at the moment to show that they are not happy with the current leadership in the world so there's very few countries we can actually say there's a good leader there at the moment it's a collective mess of leadership and it shows me that the old leadership is definitely not working anymore and if they don't change they're not going to make it they think they might put laws in place to protect them i don't actually think unless they change themselves no law will protect them so i believe there's a lot of positives that's coming out of this 
And I also believe to go spiritual is this is the chance for us to be a new creation of ourselves, is to move forward. Um, and that is the beautiful word kainos, the Greek word that means new or renew, is we now have the opportunity to renew ourselves. I actually wrote a self-discovery program on renewal based on this because I feel people need this. Companies need this. They need to go and revisit their vision, their mission. How are they going to manage their people from year on? Because they cannot do it the way they've done it in the past. Very true. In fact, Nadine, uh, uh, what Madeline also brings in is uh, a lot of the uh, spiritual uh, uh, aspects to the uh, leadership programs and empowerment and other things which she does. And uh, uh, that's how we actually also felt a connect because she does a lot of work with the chakras and the alignment and all those kind of things and uh, we had uh, some good conversations before that and i do believe and you remember that we discussed about uh, leaning into spirituality when we were doing the uh, 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 weekend lounge with Carl. we talked about how uh, these spiritual uh, aspects do contribute a lot in terms of the recovery and uh, resilience. So let me just quickly, you know, as we people will join and uh, I think let me put the context and uh, Madeline and you for sure. And uh, Vishal was very keen because uh, we've been having conversations around uh, self-care, self-compassion for quite some time. So he said, hey, I want to hop in and listen so uh, there you are vishal good to see you <laughs> after almost a month there's been a lot of festivities around in uh, uh, india so we had the uh, 10 day dasera festival after that we had diwali and so we have all been putting on a lot of weight <laughs> with lots of sweet and <laughs> okay we are going so we have enough workload for us to uh, you know, uh, work for New Year resolution. I think every year we have New Year resolutions to cut the fat which we have accumulated uh, during this last two months of, uh, you know, year where we have a, and I think it will culminate with uh, the Christmas and the New Year's Eve. So you just go berserk and then you say the first resolution which you have for building physical resilience, you can say that. <laughs> and then uh, we uh, we resolve, but I don't know whether we really uh, follow through, you know? So there's uh, time for another new year and another series of uh, new year resolutions. So maybe <laughs> we need some lessons there as well. So let me just put the things in context. Uh, so that uh, we can converse around specifics. Uh, and again, because you've done a uh, lot of work in that area as well, as much as so. So my role will be to uh, have two wonderful ladies uh, have the conversation as much as possible, um, because there's so much of lived experiences which you can share. And then uh, I have some questions as well as we go along, and I'm sure Vishal will also have some questions to ask. So we will look at uh, that as we go along. So let me just uh, talk about, you know, when, when I actually talked about uh, resilience, I just said that, is it time to 
stop talking about resilience. Uh, when I say this, what I mean is, uh, it's hard to, you know, nowadays get through an average day without hearing about resilience, whether it is how we need to develop resilience or congratulating ourselves on how we already have become resilient. So we are reading a lot about resilience, talking about it, and even some people are also touting it. But perhaps we, uh, you know, I was actually getting a little bit, um, honestly, uh, tired of listening to all the resilient talk. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are blogs written, there are programs being done, there are uh, series of, you know, lots of books which are now coming into the market which says, you know, how to become resilient and, or on resilient. Maybe it's time, I thought, to drop the buzzword, avoid the jargons, and pause the platitudes in favor of something very new. Uh, of course, we can talk a lot about building strength, extending adaptability, and learning new capabilities. But resilience may be probably losing its meaning in all of this. So it's time to go, I think, beyond plain talk. And that's what uh, led me to this uh, uh, topic and the show as well. So, the, uh, so what I'm talking about is, uh, and I'm sure uh, Nadine and Madeline, both of you have also been doing a lot of work in the corporate world. We can talk about the importance of resilience, both in life and business, because we've just touched upon it in our initial introductory chat. Uh, maybe we uh, you know, know someone who seems as if they can take, you know, there are times when we see some people who can take a punch on their face over and over again, but still get back on their feet and try again. Their resilience is powerful and inspiring and something you should uh, focus on if uh, people want to succeed in life. You know, I, I have several people whom I see, you know, they are down and out is what we will think, but they rise up again as a phoenix, start to work again. and. I always wondered how do they do that? And uh, one thing which I think Madeline uh, touched about and talked about in terms of values, uh, personal values, I, I somehow felt that, um, uh, and in fact, research findings also suggest that connecting to personal values, the core values can help people to be more resilient in the face of stress. And let me just uh, put this in perspective. For example, uh, according to some of the uh, resilient school leaders, the process of, for example, privately clarifying, publicly articulating, and consciously acting on our core values is a great source of strength in helping us face adversity and emerge stronger. For example, a person uh, who lost his job you know, all of a sudden, you know, the income is stopped. I'm just giving one example as to how the values, core values can come into play when we talk about uh, resilience. I was just thinking about it as much as in an organization as a being, I was just saying, if a person loses a job and one of his core values is about love and care, 
he would actually draw that strength from his family and he looks at the family and says yeah i need to provide for my children i need to take care of my home and uh, i just cannot afford to um you know let them down and that being one of the core uh, you know close to heart value i think people uh, come back strong and say hey so maybe that is one aspect we can uh, talk about today in terms of how getting in touch with your values personal values can help build uh, resilience and make you a little bit more stronger so maybe spending some time looking at what are those values which we believe in so that's probably one of the examples which i can talk about uh but then we will probably look at i think uh, madeline does a lot of work with regards to her wellness center which she wanted to set up obviously now it is again uh, on the recovery stage uh, when we talked about uh, the uh, physical resilience part of it and uh, when we are talking about it uh, we can talk about how people who are fit fitness is one of the things but we i am no expert in fitness part of it but then uh, uh, how can that help so the physical side of resilience the mental side of resilience is another thing which we will talk about and probably the uh, two other things emotional and social one thing which uh, uh, you know nagin and i were talking about and i think uh, very important is that uh, thinking about resilience as purely an individual aspect you know lot of the conversations which i hear or the talk which i see on the web talks about you know yeah you need to be resilient you need to be powerful it's all about you but then i think we miss the idea that resilience is not all about being just individual uh, you need a lot of uh, you know support network and social support as well we cannot just live in isolation and start to deal with resilience you need people around so i am actually also wanting to hear from uh, uh, the ladies around and uh, those who join in as well as we go along how the social aspects of uh, building resilience will come into play so how do we learn from failure and transform it how do we work on the uh, change dimensions these are some of the topics which i want to uh, ask you about nagin as well in terms of specifically looking at the obviously we will not spend a lot of time on the physical side of the aspect but if you do have i think uh, please do go ahead and share it but i'm more looking at the uh, emotional and social dimensions which can bring in uh, you know people to become more resilient and uh, the focus i also why i said stop talk about resilience is it's time to act and i think people need to stop talking and start doing uh, i would say daily tasks behaviors which are very visible on the ground one little step at a time 
to build resilience. Because we cannot just say that, you know, I need to be resilient and, you know, it's not a pill which is available in the medical or the pharmacy where you can just buy a resilience pill and then pop it in. I think people uh, mistake, you know, a lot of this talk around that, you know, the lot of motivational talk, you feel good about it, but there are no specific actions. So my own experience has been that. So I would like to now throw this open for the discussion and uh, Nagin, uh, your take, because you've been doing a lot of work on that. And it's been a long, long recovery journey. And you have all dimensions which you can contribute to. And you have a definitely a program which you have been running similar, very similar to what Madeleine talks about. So I think it will be a great conversation uh, as we go along. So feel free and uh, let's hear from you. Yeah, thank you, Siri. I think, um, you know, as you rightly said that resilience people just take it as like recovery that uh, you go through a difficult time and then the you rise back and that's resilience. But it is larger than that, it's deeper than that. And people don't understand that resilience is actually connected to your hope. And there, that's where spirituality also comes in, that it's your hope, uh, your belief in yourself and someone above you, whatever you call a God, universe, whatever, right, that things will improve. And then you start working towards that. And you cannot even, you know, if you plant a seed, it will not grow if it's not watered, if it's, the wind is not right. And, you know, you need to, the, the whole environment helps to, uh, for the seed to grow into a plant and to give fruits. So for any person to be resilient, you need the social support as well. But more importantly, your connection with the support system. Do you even believe in that? Do you believe that when you will ask for help, you will be given help? or you will follow the directions or you will go after the people who you know that will help you to you know step up now like for my uh, i'll give you my example i'm a domestic violence survivor so when i was um, in a very difficult one it was like uh, you know in our part of the world being married to a very influential uh, man and then uh, you know i had two boys and then you know like custody of boys through the sharia law and it was everything was so hard now people were looking at me even my own family members very close family members everybody was like you are strong so you are putting that person under the pressure i was being pressurized initially i felt the pressure that everybody is saying you are strong you will do it I, never, I didn't need that kind of motivational talk at that point, right? That, you know, you are strong. I wanted people to understand that I'm a human and blood runs in my body. So I have emotions. I will break down. That's part of resilience, right? I will break down. I have to absorb what is happening around me. And then I take a decision, intentional decision to step up and do what is needed that so what happens is that the entire equation of resilience people forget the whole uh, process of a person going through the pain living through the pain and then deciding intentional decision to rise up is the whole process of resilience what people see is that resilience means recover from a difficult situation period but it's not that simple 
And I really needed uh, shoulders uh, or somebody to understand what I'm going through. It was like I kept I kept everything inside me because I knew the moment I'm going to share it with my mom or I'm going to share it with my friends or my colleagues, I'll be seen, I'll be labeled as uh, a person, as a victim. So that fear of being labeled as a victim, because I thought that they all think that I'm a strong person. So I wore that mask for too long. To, and it was a stopping the process of resilience, to be very honest. I, I was feeling low. I was feeling incomplete. And this is, I'm just giving my example because I know I've lived through it. I'll be able to explain it more. But this happens with every human being. If you're going through a trauma, if you're going through a difficult situation, you need to live through that moment. And understand that moment and the people around you should give you uh, the uh, space to be yourself, to feel your pain. And then only you can rise. Yeah, I think- uh, Because very... if, you, if, you, if people push you, like saying that, oh, you are strong, you can do it. Oh, you are strong, you can do it. You know, you kind of get into that, um, uh, you wear that mask that you are strong, but, in it, but deep inside you are breaking. Because your own emotions need to come out, whether they are painful, whether they are tears, whether they are smiles, laughters, whatever, they need to come out. And then you start the process. As you give the example, I'll take the example of a job. When someone loses a job, now uh, you rightly said that the person feels, oh, it's my responsibility to care, take care of my family. And then that person gets into that apologetic approach towards his family that I'm sorry, I lost my job. No, you're not sorry. It's not your fault. You lost your job for whatever reason is, it's not your job. And we as a family will be with you. We will work it out together. So that person has to doesn't have to go and be apologize, you know, raise an apology that I'm sorry I lost my job and things won't be the same. No, you don't. That's not ownership. Ownership is when you connect with your family and your social and your family connects with you. Yes, there is no job. Yes, there will be financial issues. Yes, there can be a delay. More importantly, you might not get a job same as you were you might have to compromise at a lower level that's so painful oh, yeah. because fact, you uh... because you will go you will find a job let's say you are a vice president at, at one company you lost your job and now you're getting a job of a director of a, of a particular function only you're no more a vice president so every day you go and you see things that are completely in contrast with what you have been doing earlier your power, your authority, your position, you compromised it because you wanted to make money for your family or for your living. That's resilience. Yeah, I think uh, I wanted to bring, uh, without losing the uh, two important things which uh, you mentioned. One is, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, the aspect of judgment and, uh, you know, the advice which comes in, you know, many times when uh, we are down and out, we receive uh, advice. That means if someone has already judged us and thinks that they have a better solution than the one they see us using. And 
what happens is you know people start to critique you in terms of you know uh, you need to be strong and these kind of stuff already imagining the fact that you are not strong in fact it is only a confusion which is there in my mind at this moment you know i think one of that uh, comes from our own uh, i would say we have not been taught to deal with our emotions process our emotions live with our emotions and get strength out of it so i always take this example of the uh, piece of iron which becomes strong after going through many many degrees of heat tremendous heat and uh, uh, you know it just has to burn itself to become really strong and then resilient but you know what more often than not as uh, i was as you were saying i was thinking people rush to offer solutions people want quick fixes and they may take seven steps to resilience a book in the store which will uh, give them the magic mantra of you know recovery but i don't think uh, people are realizing and only those who have gone through the fire the trial by fire will be able to understand that it is a long journey and acknowledge it as well so you made that very important point to acknowledge the reality this is it and then start moving from there the other point which you mentioned and i think uh, very important is the um, point of just plain uh, optimism you know so we we seem to be always discussing resilience with optimism and it is a kind of a what i call it as a tone deaf uh, optimism you know people need to realize that just making some of Uh, you know uh, big talk about you know thinking optimistically being having a positive attitude will not change anything it needs more than cheerleading by people it needs people to look at what are those steps which you can take so one thing which came out from what you said like about the person who's uh, lost his job i think a very important point you made is to have the dialogue and conversation and uh, get that on the table and all of a sudden you realize that your support system starts to get into action it's almost like that gear system uh, which you need to put you know put the clutch gear start moving and then slowly it starts to uh, make you a little bit more better Uh, to be able to cope so yeah so uh, i just thought that i need to bring in these two points my two cents on this uh, about optimism the false optimism is what you're talking about which shouldn't be the case dialogue very important we need to have conversations uh, the other thing which you talked about is uh, you know uh, the spiritual side obviously taking off from what madeline was also saying so yeah so these are some of the things which you were talking about and how uh, social uh, support systems really help so yeah yeah i think that we cannot just um, you know isolate ourselves to prove that we are resilient 
And this is how the society teaches us that, you know, a resilient person is a person who has done everything on his or her own. And uh, they have gone through that uh, problem or trauma and they just, you know, they're there now. Yes, it took a lot of their own efforts, their values, their commitment, their self-belief. Yes, for sure, 100%. But at the same time, it also involved their ability to connect with others, to help them in the process. And people really struggle. And why I'm against, uh, or I'm like not at all a supporter of people saying to anyone that you can do this, you are strong. Like when I lost my dad and he was my life. When I lost my dad, I remember the family members coming to me and um, hugging me or, you know, however it was. And telling me that, oh, you are the oldest in the family. Just hold it. And, uh, you know, now the family's responsibility is on you. He loved you so much. So now you are the uh, man of the family or the, the main leader and whatever. And I was like, I, I, I don't want to listen to all this because these are the things that I know I will be all, all of a sudden I'll become the head, right? That's something that's a different thing. But right now, I have lost my dad and I need to cry. I have lost my dad and I need to process that pain. So people coming and saying that, no, don't cry. You have younger siblings, uh, you know, if you do this, they will feel more low. So you are trying to put that person, the person who is going in pain, you are bombarding that person or burdening that person to take responsibility immediately, which that person knows that he or she will at some point. I just uh, cannot resist coming in here. Sorry, Nagin. But as you said it, I was actually uh, thinking that most powerful people and I'm sure, uh, you know, the others in the uh, meeting room can also agree. Uh, most powerful people, the so-called, the real leaders and the resilient ones are very good at, uh, you know, not capping their emotions, but processing and expressing it as well. So it's, it's said that, uh, you know, some of the great leaders are very comfortable crying uh, in front of groups. It doesn't matter, you know, because they are processing, you know, because that really cleanses and you are not bottling up your emotions. So uh, emotional resilience is also about, I think what, from what you say, and I am able to relate it. So you look at even sports people, some of the top sports people, including, uh, uh, people like Roger Federer or you can talk about Serena Williams or people uh, who have achieved absolute top level of performance. And they're so, Novak Djokovic is another person uh, in tennis circuit, uh, world number one, very comfortable in uh, dealing with their emotions, very comfortable in terms of expressing themselves even if it is tears, you know, they are not actually, they, fortunately for them, they don't have people who are telling them that you are the world number one, so you can't cry. 
you have to show you are strong so i think that's a very important point which needs to be driven to uh, in people's mind that to be resilient you don't have to put a facade of strength you should actually have the ability to express all emotions it cannot be and madeline uh, you can uh, probably relate when we talk about even chakra alignment you cannot just be focused on one dimension and say the rest cannot be anger is an emotion and you need you need to work on it it is like the uh, the root chakra you need to deal with that you cannot just deny it so yeah that's one madlin do you uh, agree to the uh, that part of my interpretation perfect um what i found is that trauma throws all the chakras out because as you go through trauma it affects every area in your life so then you need to realign it when you come when you've gone through the trauma and you come to the other side and if you don't do that trauma sits sits in one of those areas until you deal with it whether it's making you ill whether it is affecting your finances whether it's affecting your emotional body your mindset whatever it might be but it will affect all of your energy centers until you heal each one of them but also in a way when you look at it through a healer's eyes it's beautiful because when you uplift and you upgrade all of them to the next level having gone through the pain so i always say there is wisdom in every single pain that we experience and there is gain for us in our pain we just need to find it and we need to identify it absolutely in fact you uh, i can say nailed it when you said that because i always felt when we talk about uh, resilience obviously it is uh, the talk of resilience comes when you are confronted with a trauma or a, a painful situation yeah. and it's basically like the closing of doors so you know so one thing which you need to look at is uh, and i encourage people also to do this exercise when they are trying to recover it's like when you have a door closed you also have some doors open and you need to look out of that door to see what are the it could be the wisdom it could be the opportunities it could be the lessons every door which closes opens another door and that's how it is when you said about even chakras you have to keep rising even if it is the core root chakra which is misaligned and you are angry at people you are angry at yourself you are absolutely in a bad mood you heal you deal with it and not bottle it opens another level and then you keep rising and i think a very interesting point so uh, open and closed door uh, concept i think that is a very uh, interesting exercise which people can do whenever a door is closed uh like for example uh, and again you would uh, we discussed this uh, in some of one of our previous shows and you've just mentioned it as well so let's say one door closes it can be either you are trying to find a job or you're trying to recover from something the door is shutting on you but then 
it opens other opportunities. Are we willing to deal with it at that point and look at what it is teaching us? So something around that uh, is what I, I just couldn't resist coming in. So yeah, so back to what you were trying to actually communicate. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, my program, the one that I run uh, with many of, and as my focused audience is women. So when I work with them, I always insist and kind of the program, you know, is about that you have to feel your emotions, process them. And then because, see, nobody wants to stay in pain forever. That's a human nature. So it's not that uh, you will not rise, you will, but you have to process the pains so that you can take intentional decisions of what to do next and how better you can do from what you have gone through. What are now, because the whole um, picture changes, your priority changes, your, and the only thing that remains with you are your principles and core values that you want to hold them and kind of use them to move ahead. Now, at this point, when we are talking about being resilient, it's about giving others the space to be with you. Resilience is also that. It's just not rising from a difficult situation, but actually arising from a difficult situation and connecting with others at a deeper level, using your own pain and trauma to understand the other person's perspective from where they are coming. What, I mean, they can jump to uh, various uh, uh, conclusions or judgments, why people become judgmental, why people have jumped to conclusions. And so there is a whole science behind it. There may be a past that is bothering them, their own belief system, their growth, their the surroundings must have affected them. So the more resilient we become, the more understanding and accepting we become for others as well. That's uh, another dimension of resilience. Okay. So, uh, you know, at this point in time, we will also switch and look at um, when we talk about building emotional, uh, now we've been talking about the social aspect of it. So if we can actually sum up uh, some of those things which are very visible actions, which people can undertake, which helps them in building resilience through their social, uh, uh, you know, support systems. So if you can actually throw some light in terms of uh, how that can help, because uh, I, I know for sure one of the um, aspects which you mentioned uh, in our earlier conversations as well, is how that social, uh, risk, social aspects help you to contribute. You know, obviously resilience is a combination of all this, you know, because uh, when you are hit with trauma, it affects your mind, body, and soul. All three, it, it, it's not just going to be in isolation. Sometimes these symptoms are given uh, physical pain, which we go through, or it is the mental uh, trauma, which we, uh, 
work through or at the same sometimes it just goes and hits and sits deep within your soul which is very hard to actually uh, work on but obviously we can do small work start doing things in a step by step manner so let's uh, hear from you and yeah feel free madeline also to chip in the social uh, dimension of contributing to resilience building see uh shri i would always recommend people to i call this the support system around you people around you as partners in believing people who believe in you so everyone we all have uh, and those people are not the people who have been saying that oh you know don't cry you're a strong person the persons are uh, the partners in believing are the people who believe that you will be able to succeed not because you're strong but because you can craft a blueprint to reach where you want to you have a vision a mission a, a task to complete and you will stick to it till the end so for instance in my um, from for my life my boys obviously so i had partners in believing who believed in me that i will not leave my boys unattended or unsafe and i will do go to all the levels to protect them and give them a better life mm-hmm. so when you connect when you find those partners in believing then you start processing the road map to achieve what you want yeah. right so you have to uh, when we say that the social part of uh, resilience it's about connecting with people at a deeper level knowing and that there there even one person is enough let me tell you you don't have to create a crowd around you to prove that you are resilient or a crowd to prove that they are your partners in believing you can only have one person but that one person is not the person who is labeling you as a strong person that one person is actually believing that your your hope to survival your hope to thrive you will go to any level fair level to achieve that that's where and then you start building those relationships you would need definitely you would need let's say if you are at work well you know like because we have an audience that is coming from a corporate uh, environment so culture so if you have uh, you are at work you're going through some difficult uh, uh, difficulties at work whether it's uh, connecting with your team or you know like completing a task meeting a deadline whatever it is and you have not even the person should i'm not saying it should be your boss but any person maybe that person could be from a different department but that's the person is believing that you can handle this situation so you will go to that person not to prove that you are strong but you will go to that person to speak your mind that these are the things i want to do you know kind of advices coming in and that person can direct you to the right person or di- to a direction no this is not wrong and you can kind of uh, pros and cons you can evaluate your uh, decisions and you can uh, you know revisit your plan so these are the things that help you to finally achieve what you want 
So when uh, I came to when I came to US City, I came with just three bags and two boys. Left everything behind. When I uh, came here, I took an apartment, and trust me, the apartment had nothing but our three bags, like the, the basic clothes. We were making trips to Walmart and uh, Costco and places to get things, uh, you know, to just start the life right and my boys were part of it so initially everybody was like oh my god you know look at her and you know there were people you are strong you can do it rest of people were oh this will leave a bad impact on the boys but the way i carried the whole experience is that my boys now have this experience they have done it from their hands with their hands like they were as young as four and 12, they have done it with their hands that they can rebuild. Yeah, so, so that, that's what resilience. I, what, what I hear from you, and I think it is almost like a Lion King moment yeah. uh, where uh, Simba is absolutely believing that uh, his father can... Uh, do no wrong, number one, but more importantly, will be there to protect him. And uh, but when he loses all his confidence uh, through the trauma of, I, I think it was a wonderful. Uh, I think it uh, touched my heart and many people's heart when you yes. saw the movie Lion King, and uh, it was like almost uh, I was in tears in the uh, uh, theater uh, when I saw that you know Simba besides uh, his father who is uh, dead and uh, after that he goes through a long period of uh, uh, you know trauma stopped believing in himself thought that he had no power thought that he had lost everything and he was not even a lion anymore and uh, but he had uh, totally from and uh, very rightly put it need not be many times people think it is all about doing it alone he goes on a long journey in the wilderness. I, I remember the story so well and vividly. And uh, he actually gets support from a totally different, it's not family in the, in the sense we call family or the near and dear. Sometimes, you know, it is always uh, said that, you know, the immediate support group, but people mistake immediate support group just as family or close friends. But in that movie, I saw that, you know, the, uh, the meerkat and the uh, boar, Pumbaa and uh, the gang, how they believed in uh, Simba and then slowly the recovery started and it was not easy. And I think I am able to relate when you spoke about uh, going along with your boys and landing up with three bags and you know i'm sure they it was a simba movement for them as well so they believed in you and in turn that spurred you on to do all you can to recover from some of the uh, trauma which you went through and madeline madeline uh, has equal and powerful and it is Probably, I sorry to keep coming back to the same uh, horrific uh, situations, but fresh in her memory. So, and I, I think she's already on a way because she's already been doing these kind of work. So, uh, what's your Simba moment been? 
Madeline, the question I is to you. Some more moments this year, um, Sri, because I went to Durban to uh, just, I want to touch on this. I also, I grew up in a domestic violence home where I'm the oldest and I used to take up all the responsibilities of the parents. So, and looking after the siblings and the responsibilities in, at home. And I started to cook and clean at the age of seven already. And um, I really had no childhood. So the impression that my family got of me is I'm strong. I can handle anything. And that's always be the impression. And what it did to me is, yes, it was my driving force to become successful because I didn't want a life like that. So my success breeded in that space. But what they never ever realized is that I'm actually human. And that I am not the strong person they think I am or always want me to be for them while they are not there for me. So when my sister called me at the end of last year and said, there's a problem with my mom, she's not well, she's concerned. Um, I thought about it and then I thought, okay, let me go and see what's going on. So as you know, I moved to Durban and I left my son in Cape Town. He's 24. I thought he's an adult. You know, he's got his own life. And I will go and sort out what needs to be sorted out and I will look after my mom. And a week into living with my mom, I realized it's not going to work because my mom never changed as the person. She, she changed in a way, but not when you get deeper, she never changed as the mom that I knew as a child, but I thought she did. So within a week, I realized this is a bit negative for my soul. I'm too sensitive for this. Now you must remember they see me as strong and I cannot cope with this. Anyway, so I stuck it out until April this year and then I couldn't handle it anymore. And there was an incident um, from nowhere I don't want to go too much in public into the detail out of respect for my mom, but um, this incident sh showed me that I can never do this. This is just, if unless I want to sacrifice me in total, I cannot do this. So I moved out to everybody's surprise because they thought I am the person who always looked after the family. I'm the one who took all the responsibilities, the financial responsibilities in all, for all, and everything else. And they thought, well, she's there, she's taking over, we can take 10 steps back. It's not our problem anymore. And my mom can treat me any way she wants because I'm here forever. And there I move out. And I stood up for myself and I said, I'm sorry, this is not for me. And I moved out and I found the most beautiful cottage and then I found the right place for my mom and I helped my sister to go through a divorce, which was not in on any plans of me when I moved away from Cape Town. I mean, this was not even in my vision. So I had to stay in my face, knowing that I got guided to go there, to, to see what I needed to see, to learn what I needed to learn and then I got pulled back to Cape Town, knowing I finished off outstanding issues. I've realized the wisdom I've learned from it is do not expect other people to treat you the way you want them to treat you, but accept the way they treat you and decide for yourself, is that for you or is it not for you? 
because you do not need your toxic people in your life if you really don't want. And there's a lot of deep lessons, but in the process, I've lost literally my old life. I've lost my goods. I've lost, I've, I've given up who I was. I feel much more grounded within myself. I couldn't work because I had so many personal problems to sort out and to do and to focus on. It was one move after the other. And I organized all the moves. I paid for all of that, you know, out of my um, humbly, humble savings, whatever you want to call it. And then I ended up, I don't have an income and I, I ended up paying for everybody. And I said to my son when I got here, and he has 25 boxes of my clothes, small boxes of my clothes and the bit I had and a little bit of furniture. And do you know, I, I helped everyone packing and moving into the places they needed to be. But when I moved now, there was not one that even asked me, can I come and help you just to pack one box on a Saturday night or whenever? Not one, not one offer, no help, no financial help, nothing. Not even, are you okay? Are you fine? So... Yes, um, I didn't feel like a lion anymore. And when I reached Cape Town, I was burned out. I was tired. I was shell-shocked about all my discoveries that I never wanted to see and I had to, to be to that uh, enable me to move forward. And also, I'm in a position where I'm living with my son, which I never thought I would. You know, it was always the other way around which is a beautiful experience, by the way, you know, I'm not complaining. And he's absolutely, he needed me, by the way, and I didn't know it. So every time I spoke to him in the last month before I moved, I started to cry. And then I just got the feeling I need to get to Cape Town. And he didn't want to burden me with extra worries. So when I got here, we sorted some issues out serious that could have been very serious issues. Anyway, be it as it may, what I have left of that is kidney infection because that's what happens when you bottled up all your, your, your emotions. And she's so right in saying, this is what you need to deal with. You need to feel it. And if you don't, it, it sits somewhere in the body. But it also forced me to look at, and I found it so profoundly right in the Bible is in um, is the new creation of you, which gave me the inner strength, the spiritual strength, the emotional strength. When I read it and I understood the bigger message of what this story was telling me, I thought, voila, I got it. So I reconcile and I will move forward with a new life and tapping into my spiritual giant within me my inner strength to move forward but it's a, in a way a beautiful journey that I can share with others and help them going through their journeys in the new beginning because we tend to hold onto the past and we tend to hold onto and that's part of what I did in the past that probably helped me back and I didn't know it we tend to hold onto a bit of hope things will change you know or you start to believe things change because you romanticize certain people in your life, certain situations, because you never really went into the feeling of that. Mm -hmm. And it is so true that you have to go into the feeling of that 
that you to find your healing and to see the situation for what it is and not think it is something that it's not. Yeah, in fact, uh, very, very uh, important uh, uh, aspect which you mentioned. And I think uh, uh, addressing some of the core values which probably are not helping. Sometimes we think that we are, these values are the ones which are, you know, probably uh, we have heard about it. We have, uh, uh, you know, been conditioned by the society about love, care, affection, you name it. In fact, uh, I don't think people really have revisited and looked at their own values. In fact, it is all the kind of hand-me-downs, even in organizations, you know, values, uh, values are just copy paste activities, you know, so um, yeah, uh, uh, I think Vishal uh, uh, wanted to exit because he has uh, so much on his plate already. And yeah, surely uh, Vishal, uh, the recordings are always going to be available. So Thanks, Thanks for yeah. the session. Please continue. Thank yeah. you. So, uh, so Madeline, what you mentioned, I think, uh, people are afraid to even revisit their values. I think uh, there is a kind of a, I would say an assumption or a misconception that, you know, values are fixed and you cannot, you know, it's unshakable or you cannot revisit them and so on. You know, I've seen in organizations as well because of 30 years of consulting with organizations, it's like more like, you know, everybody has it, so let's keep it but we don't want to, if I go and say, hey, are these values really guiding you in your progress? People don't want to touch it because already a lot of investments, the so-called investments in the business world, you have invested already a lot about communicating those values. You don't want to be seen as a person who questions those values or challenges those values. And I think even in families, we are not allowed to question certain values which are not any longer relevant in today's world. You know, so I think you raised a very important, you know, talking about certain things which you started to feel about yourself, the so-called, in fact, even Nagin mentioned, you know, some of those values have to be revisited. You yeah, know, I think um, I think the uh, what you call the folk tuning moment for me uh, while Madeline was talking was that resilience teaches us to respect our boundaries yes this is so how powerful and this, this is i just loved it i just loved it like when she said that you know the, the that then came a point when she realized that this is not going to work is what that point was when she realized the boundaries her boundaries she has to protect her own boundaries for her own self because if in the process what most of the time we do is we allow people to um, come into our comfort zone and destroy the peace there, thinking that it's their territory, but it's our territory and you are, you are here as a guest and we can just let ask you to leave when we want and we kind of hold it, we will not do it till the end. So I just loved it that this is a very uh, fine point that Madeline you made that resilience is also a step or a process or um, a tool which teaches us to respect our boundaries. 
because when we start respecting our own boundaries when we start uh, that's when we start knowing ourselves that this is what we are going to this is this is our point of acceptance for certain behaviors for certain people we may not we don't want a bad for them we want the best for them we want to help them but not at the price of our own peace or mm -hmm. our own identity or uh, crushing our own values so that's so important and this has given a whole different uh, you know perspective to resilience which is so important and is always missing i'll i'll just quote a quick example and this is a little funny but it is when we moved to us and you know as i told you that we had nothing so we were running to walmart and costco and all those you know stores to get our stuff and every time we would uh, when you i've been in the kitchen i realized oh i don't have uh, this kind of spoon to cook i'm missing that spoon or i'm missing that plate or i'm missing that uh, you know dish so and then i would make a list again oh these are the things that we need to go and buy and uh, so again coming to the point where medlin said that you don't need so many things to survive i mean i when i bought it was just one set of pans which were like a fry pan and you know some like three or four different kind of pans with three spoons that's what i bought for the first time and with that set i cooked for three or four months probably right and then when i was reflecting back and i was like my mom was calling that because we left the our house as it was and my mom was calling that there is so much of crockery in your um, kitchen what am i supposed to do with it you just left everything there are so i said just give it to anyone go go and give it to a restaurant or to somebody or if a girl is getting married just do whatever you want to do but then i realized that you know i i i, I can cook with those four pans and three uh, spoons and i had a whole bunch of crockery back at home which i was just buying and i think i didn't need it right again uh what happened is that my son my little one said and he was at, at that point he was just six and just look at how resilience teaches us how it changes us so he came to me and he said um can i have a nail cutter and um, i said yeah and then i started looking for a nail cutter you know a nail cutter is something we have taken for granted forever i have written like so many things on this nail cutter moment right and i started looking for nail cutter in my entire house i i, I didn't have it then i checked my bag because a mom's bag has all the funny things you can name it and it's there so i thought that i will have a nail cutter in my bag there was no nail cutter in my bag even because i remember that while we were coming so just because we have to pass through security and all so i had put everything out and i never put it in the bag and assuming that when it will go to us we'll buy one and then we didn't buy so that moment and i was looking it was like about 10 15 minutes of my uh, you know running around and trying to find out if we have a nail cutter or help the little one and this little one says oh i saw scissors in the kitchen i think this will do right so now the thing is that resilience taught him to achieve his target of by 
you know, alternating options. Look at life in a different perspective. Why do you have to cut nail with a nail cutter? It can, people in older days, olden times used to use scissors, right? But we completely forgot a nail cutter was taken for granted. But then when there was a moment when we had to find an alternate solution, we did. And that's what I call resilience. Okay. So, uh, so as I hear, and I think that has come out as a uh, common theme and thread, which we can say. Even before we start talking all big about resilience, I think it's important that we spend time re-evaluating, re-looking, revisiting, looking inwards, and looking at, I have to simply say this, but uh, it looks very simple, but it is, a, I'm not giving any uh, profound uh, technique here, but just to look at listing down what you need really, really to lead a comfortable life and being brutally honest with yourself. And in fact, I was having a conversation uh, and because, you know, we happen to actually just have this alumni um, meeting of our college uh, mates and uh, I was getting these messages. And then uh, it's been 30 years over and I have to meet them. And I realized that three or four of my highly successful uh, classmates have already passed away. Now, and I was looking at it and then my son made this point and it was a very important thing. He said, yeah, actually, if you look at it, what's the point of all this? You know, because, uh, yeah, he says that uh, I can't believe that some of your classmates, because he's not uh, heard this before and he's seen it because he's a doctor. He's seen uh, people come in and uh, go out on the stretcher, all covered in cloth and uh, done. So he used to always say that uh, it's in that moment. And you, if you just be in the moment and look around, you will actually see how little you need to actually live a happy life. Because there are many, even in our room, when we sit and look at it, there are many gadgets which we have not been using. There is a painting on the wall, which we have not seen for a long time, but it exists around us. And we spend <laughs> thousands of dollars hanging it around and went to the best to find the best paintings. We've had furniture, probably we've uh, put it in the store and not even looked because, but we spend a lot of time uh, searching for the best furniture piece. And then it's only when, as Madeline really uh, brought in, and I, I could relate to it because we did have a long conversation around it. All of a sudden when everything is burned down, and you still move on because uh, as humans, I think we will move on irrespective. And that is when that moment teaches us in terms of what exactly do we really need? And I think uh, one of the things which I have felt for myself is I used to say that, you know, um, whenever you are down and out and you felt that absolutely uh, devastated, I always encourage people to write 10 things which have been wonderful in your life. 
just do that writing. And I say that it looks very silly that you need to carry a book and write. I say just write down 10 things which have really happened very well and you are happy about. And those are the only positions you will ever need. And I have seen nine out of 10 times people don't write about money. People don't write about all the material stuff and so on. People just write about some of the, you know, it's, it's, it could be like I've seen people writing, okay, I'm happy that I'm healthy. I, I can breathe. I can see. I can smell. I can taste. I have limbs. You know, so in fact, out of the 10, there will be at least six or seven which are mostly not material stuff. It could be family, it could be uh, spiritual, it could be that wealth which we talk about. You know, and I'm sure a uh, lot of people also, after a tremendous amount of trauma, say that, okay, I'm glad that I survived and I have a life, at least. I have so many people who are dead. But then, you know, so like Madeline shared, you know, if it is a few bags, few boxes, and then you realize that that's very little I need. And it's not about, yes, you will be angry. You will be uh, feeling bad that, you know, all that you have built in the last 20, 30 years, you know, has come to naught. But then it teaches us very important lessons. And I think, are we willing to really learn the lessons or wallow in the pain of that uh, situation? You know, keep uh, this thing. So if you really want to learn the lessons, I think uh, it's a powerful thing. Uh, so uh, if I have to ask both the ladies here, if you can let uh, the people who will listen to the uh, video transcripts when I share it, if you can list, you know, I, we talked about four types of resilience. And uh, what is the physical resilience? How do you build it? the mental one, the emotional one, and the social one. If you can actually highlight one or two very simple but actionable stuff. You know, we don't need jargon and uh, big talk. If we can, because you have lived experiences and both of you have been kind enough to share uh, those experiences in this platform. If you can give our audience two steps, three very visible steps and simple, which they can start doing today, here and now, which can take them on a journey of resilience. And all three of us agree that uh, it's a long road. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not a pill which we can take. So uh, Madeline, uh, I would, uh, as a guest on the show, definitely, I would want you to kickstart and give us, you know, two or three with your years of experience. See, it's difficult. Uh, I, I, I would put it this way. When resilience knocks on your door, it means there's an area in your life that needs to be revisited and reviewed. And what is it telling you and showing you to do? Now, most people I find, they don't do that. They only look at the pain that they experience in emotions at the moment, and that takes over. And it creates more pain and more pain. And so now you start another journey. So what I've learned now is when resilience knocked on my door, I immediately looked at it and thought, what is it showing me? What, is it, what do I need to do to finish this 
so that it doesn't come back again and rear its head again. And I've learned so much from that because I am not emotionally invested fully in it at that moment because I'm analyzing it. I want to understand it and I want to understand my role, the other person's role, whatever's involved in here. And it made it so much easier for me because when I understood it and I got clarity on that, I didn't take the pain personally, although it still hits you because you're human. You can't divorce yourself from that and it won't be a good idea to do it anyway. But it showed me what I knew and what I didn't want to know. It showed me what lingered in my life and held me back. And it actually robbed me of my joy and freedom. Literally my whole life up to now. So when I realized the situation for exactly what it is without shame, without guilt, this is my situation I need to deal with. And this is my mom and this is my sister and there's nothing I can do about it, you know, but I can now do, uh, do change how I deal with it. And that brought me so much freedom by not just jumping into it, which I did for a day or two um, when, it, when the incident happened because it was unfair, it was ugly, it was really terrible. And, um, and I couldn't believe it, I was in shock. But what I did without knowing, and I think there I was protected, is I removed myself out of it. And I went to a place that I didn't know where I'm going, but I landed in the right place for healing. And the most amazing people had advice, and I stayed there for four days. And then I got clarity on the situation, and I realized you can never go back there. It never worked in the past. It's getting worse. You can't do it now. Get over your guilt. Get over that you want to fix things for people. They need to fix themselves. They need to fix their own what's not working. And by putting it onto others, I'm not taking it. It's not my war. But before I took it on, and that is what caused the scars and all the baggage that I carried with me, where now I'm not. Although my financial situation is in dire straits at the moment and the rest of everything is in place. And that is the beauty of what I've been through is when you look at the situation and you walk by faith and you say, okay, what are you showing me? God, universe, whoever you believe in, what are you showing me? Then you realize this is a gift to you. Because if you can see what you need to see, it's freeing you from maybe a burden you carried your whole life. And you don't need to carry it anymore. So to me, it's how do you look at it? What do you do about it? And is it your war or is it not your war? And what are you learning from this situation so that it doesn't come back and repeat itself? And I can share something with you um, to, to, just to help people is, don't take other, other people's burdens on. You can give them advice. You can assist them in their growth. I mean, I'm a pranic healer, but don't take the healing journey on and do it for them because you are stopping their growth. And when you leave, when you get tired, burdened and burned out and you cannot carry that parcel anymore and you leave it, you're literally leaving them where you started to carry their parcel for them. So you've done them no favor. 
So the wisdom in this situation is I can guide you. I can do this workshop that change lives and transform and give you a new start, but I'm only giving you the tools. I cannot do it for you, which before, oh my word, I wanted to save the world. <laughs> and I felt so guilty and I felt so sad for other people's pain, where now I have a far more mature outlook on that. Okay. Is I can assist you with my wisdom. I can assist you with my tools in my toolbox, but I cannot do more than that for you. And I'm not feeling guilty about it anymore. And okay. that is the beauty of resilience, I, I assume, is why do we get resilience knocking on our door? It's to clear up situations in your life that needs clearing up. Absolutely. In fact, you, as you said it, I was actually uh, living the moments, initial days of my coaching and consulting. And I think I was caught up in the same uh, trap, you can say, that I thought that I could actually get into the life of people and transform them. And that was really putting me under stress. It was uh, getting me crazy. I was getting more and more angry at myself and my inability to uh, deal with it. But the uh, breakthrough moment, as you say, when I realized that it is up to them to heal themselves, it is up to them to work on it. All I can do is facilitate the process and just be the facilitator and not take on, very rightly said Madeline, not take on the responsibility of their life and allow them to blossom, you know, because as, as we said that, you know, if uh, the iron has to go through the fire, you have to allow it to go through the fire. And I think all of us forget the very important lessons we have learned and uh, Nagin and I were sharing yesterday about this when we were preparing for this. Uh, when we see young children, we allow them to be. You know, when they fall down, we allow them to get up and, you know, get walking or run and, you know. So we, we forget that as we, they grow older, we tend to actually start giving advices without allowing them to work on it. And I think that is forgotten as we, as children grow, you know, when you are a child, you know, and nowadays I think that is also missing. <laughs> if parents are so hard pressed for time, they want quick fixes. So if the child cries, you don't want the child to cry. You want to immediately resolve it. So hand over a mobile or, you know, give a goodie or a treat or something like that. And then, you know, the day and age when I grew up, if you're crying, my parents would go about their task anyway. So I had to deal with it, you know. So I would scream and scream and uh, at the top of my voice, but they will go ahead and do what they want to do. And I used to say, what the hell? I couldn't actually get what I wanted. So what did I do? I went back and did it myself instead of crying. But today, I think uh, the millennials and the Gen Zs and others, Really, the sort of talk about resilience is happening because there are parents who are not having time to invest in building that resilience in them. They want a quick fix, uh, instant gratification, you can say. That, uh, you know, so that's why people end up uh, in all sorts of mess. 
So I see three-year-olds handed a mobile phone because the parent has some other work to do. So you just switch on some cartoon network and then hand over the mobile. And uh, you're not teaching the child to figure out for themselves. Very well uh, said in terms of what you uh, guided, saying that allow people to be. Nagin, your uh, take there, what are those which you would like to suggest? Yeah, I think you both covered uh, the, all the points about resilience, what we have been talking, but I would just take a moment here and say that, see, uh, we as human beings by nature, by default, it's how we are born that we are resilient each one of us. And that can be seen when, uh, as you give an example, that when a child starts to walk or, uh, you know, learns to crawl and uh, walk. So uh, the child falls a million times and then steps up and, you know, do it all over again. So they, it keeps trying. So resilient, we want to do things to achieve what we want to do. That is given. If a child wants to walk, and so it will do that no matter what. Even if you stop uh, that person, that child, the child would still learn to walk because no matter how many times he falls, but he will stand up and walk again. So we are resilient by default. The only thing I would advise here is that as we grow, we get attached to the labels that people put on us. That makes our natural power of being resilient, silent, or inactive. Because we are responding to the labels that yes, we are strong. No, I can't do this. Society doesn't allow that. This is wrong. That is, and we forget what we actually want to achieve. Absolutely. And we are uh, giving more attention to the labels. So here it is for every person that if you want to develop resilience, you need to understand that you are already resilient. That's your nature as a human being. That's how you're born. It only got silent through the process of life, whatever the experiences were. So to find out what you actually have, you will have to look inward and work to get it back. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Wonderful. Right? If you right. have <laughs> yeah, if you have if you have lost your money or you have kept your glasses somewhere, you would find because you will have those navigate things navigating, oh, I kept it on the table, oh, it was there, it was in on uh, my bedside, must have lost in the washroom. You know, you try to put uh, the map there that where my glasses were because they are your glasses and you know where you must have kept it or why or at what moment you had forgotten them. Yeah. That helps you to get it back, right? So similarly, your resilience is your resilience. You are born that way. So you just have to uh, find it back. It's yours and you are the only one who knows where it is. Nobody else would let you know about that. Wonderful. Nobody, so, even our programs. Our programs will yeah. just help you to, you know, like shake you up that go and see there. That's all we are going to do. But you have to walk and open the doors and, you know, lift the carpet and do whatever and find what is yours that is within you. Absolutely. In fact, I think uh, both the wonderful ladies really brought in that aspect of 
the inner work which is required. And I think both your experiences which you shared highlighted it so very well. I think uh, that's where people can start. I don't think we need to say much. In fact, uh, we need to be uh, mindful of our situation. We need to know what it is teaching us. And as Nagin, you said, and uh, with uh, the experiences which Madeline also shared, resilience is already embedded in us and given. But it is that label. And I think Madeline also gave the example of how uh, she was actually under probably the, those labels actually started to overpower her thinking process. And when she started to question that, absolutely, it was a kind of a uh, voila moment, uh, eureka moment, you can call it whatever. But that really changed perspectives. And I think uh, uh, that really is the essence. When we talk about the uh, road to resilience and uh, uh, how we can begin. I think uh, what I get from our conversations, and it is it is not a conversation which can end by these statements. I think uh, we have enough and more to give. But then I realize one thing that resilience is with everyone. It is not to be found in books and stores. You need to discover, revisit, reevaluate, relook, go inwards, and uh, go back to where it is and find it yourself. And, uh, but yes, you need your uh, uh, other faculties to work well. You need to spend your time in uh, building your physical fitness because if your fitness is gone, it starts to affect others. So we are talking about the alignment which we are talking about. If, if you do not encourage and learn new things, your mental faculties are lost, then you cannot solve problems. So you need to invest in your mental faculties as well. You need to work on your emotions, what we have talked about in terms of how to deal with anger and so on. We need to definitely, as Madeline was also mentioning, she's, she set out and she met wonderful people. It need not be family and immediate uh, friends who sometimes we think will be our so-called social network and uh, support network. And suddenly you realize that, you know, as Madeline said, nobody came to even pack one box for her. So she went on a journey and I think she said it, that she met some wonderful people who taught her some more lessons and, you know, look in the mirror kind of situation. But ultimately the person to look in the mirror and who you see is yourself. And I don't think uh, there's anybody else who will appear in the mirror which you are watching in your own life. So I think that's wonderful. It was a fantastic conversation. Thanks, Madeline, for staying the course. I'm so delighted that uh, you made it. And I'm happy that uh, you're back in Cape Town and not in the place which really put you under pressure. So we would uh, look forward to have these conversations with you, Nagin and I, because we've been looking forward to it. And I did share with Nagin that uh, you run a program and she does a lot of program in African region, in Kenya, Tanzania. When you have some programs, we can combine to create something which can really contribute and at least be facilitated to yes. the people around and empower them. So thanks very much for joining the show. Thank uh, you, delighted thank and you look for creating forward. this platform. Yeah. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you to all. Yeah. Thank you very much, Madeline. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, you all do. Yeah. Namaste. Namaste. Yeah. Namaste.